We are in Numbers chapters 22 through 24 today, if you want to open up there. And we are going to look at the time that that psalm just talked about, when God is bringing his people through the wilderness into the promised land. Now, kids, normally at this time we dismiss the kids. It is the first Sunday of the month, and so we have the kids stay with us. We want them to either participate in communion if they've received Christ as their Savior, or if the parents aren't sure, the kids aren't sure, uh, at least to have them witness the church taking communion and hopefully ask some really good questions. So kids, you're sticking with us. But kids, I do have a question for you. You can answer this out loud. Let's say you had to pound in a nail. Would you rather have a roll of toilet paper or a hammer? Kids only. It's too hard for the adults. Kids, if you have to pound in a nail, would you rather have a hammer or a roll of toilet paper? A hammer. I think that one's pretty obvious, right? A hammer. I've never tried to pound in a nail with a roll of toilet paper. I, I don't think it would work. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that you'd get anywhere. I suppose it depends on the nail, the wood, and those sorts of things. But you'd want a hammer. That's what it's for. Now, let's, let's say you had to, you're making some toast or maybe uh, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. See, I have to be careful here. I put butter on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Y'all don't know what you're missing. Mine are gourmet. The way my mom made it, it's the way I make it. No, my mom did that so that the jelly didn't soak into the bread by the time we ate it for lunch at school. And ever since then, I can't eat it any other way. And my kids are starting to do it too. That's not the point. But here's my question. If you want to butter bread, whether you're making peanut butter jelly or not, kids, would you rather have a knife to butter the bread or a fish? A knife. That's wise words. A, a knife. There are certain things that you just expect. This just makes sense. Now, these are silly questions. They're just ridiculous. Of course you would want that. But that's kind of the point. Sometimes we're confronted with things. We're going to see something in Scripture where we're confronted with these kind of two options. And one makes sense and one doesn't. One seems clearly better than the other. And yet God is going to use something silly to grab our attention. This is going to help us to understand the story that we're looking at today, which is the story of Balaam. Balaam is one of those stories in scripture. If you grew up going to church or VBS, you've probably went through the story of Balaam. Maybe as an adult, you've been through the story of Balaam. Not one of the most well-known in scripture, uh, but certainly a guy that's kind of famous and very confusing. Who is this guy? The overview of chapters 22 through 24 and the spotlight in these chapters is on this guy, Balaam. So we're going to have to deal with who this is. But to understand why this is important, we have to understand where we are in the text. So God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He's brought them to Mount Sinai, given them the law, and they're on their way to the promised land. And we've talked about how through many struggles and wanderings, they've spent 40 years in the desert, probably 38 by this point. But they're on their way to the promised land. They're almost there. At the end of 40 years, they're going to arrive at their destination finally, a journey that should have just taken a couple weeks, but because they disobeyed the Lord and they went their own way, God kept guiding them, but it took a long time. So they're almost there. 
Things have not been easy lately. We looked last week briefly at a bunch of kingdoms that came out and like the Israelites would ask permission to go through and the kingdoms would say no. And some of them like that was it, just no. Others are like, no, and we're bringing your, our army out to kill you. And they would go to battle against the Israelites and God gave the Israelites victory after victory. So it's been tough, but God has been blessing them. And when we enter the text today, we're introduced to this kingdom of Moab. And the king of Moab is a guy named Balak. There will be a test later. Balak is worried about the Israelites. He's heard the stories of these battles, these other nations that have come out, and they didn't do so well. And Moab isn't a very strong nation, and the other ones were. So he's going, if they, if they got walked all over by the Israelites, how is Moab going to survive? And so in this story... We have these conversations back and forth between Balak, the king of Moab, and Balaam, this prophet. From here on out, I'm going to call Balak the king, okay? Because that's very confusing. And I'm probably going to mess up the names, but I'm just going to call him the king because I don't want to mess up the names too much. So here's what the king of Moab does. He says, look, I can't take these people in battle. So what I'm going to do is hire someone. I'm going to hire a prophet. A seer, a spiritual person that will come and pronounce a curse over God's people so that then I can defeat them in battle. Now in this time, they had this idea that kind of different people groups had different gods and goddesses, different lands, different areas, had different gods and goddesses. And in their mind, in their religions, you could negotiate with the gods and goddesses or sometimes even trick them or manipulate them into doing what you wanted. And if you did certain acts, certain principles, certain words, certain sacrifices in just the right way, you could get that god or goddess to do what you wanted them to do. And so that's what he's trying to do. In these three chapters, the king of Moab is hiring this prophet Balaam to curse God's people. And so Balaam goes to God and says, hey, can we curse these people? And God says, no. Not going to do that. These are my people. You go back to Balak and you tell him you can't go with him. And so Balaam goes back to the king and says, okay, I can't do this. I can't go with you. And the king says, let me pay you a little bit more. And Balak goes, well, you know what? Let me just check again. Let me see if I can get a different answer. Balaam goes back to God. God says, look, here's what we're going to do. I'll let you go, but you can only say exactly what I tell you to say. Okay, so far we can kind of get the story. So then Balaam is going with the king. And God comes along and tries to kill Balaam and then saves his life with a talking donkey. Are you with me so far? (laughs) Yeah, if you didn't get a little bit of whiplash there, you're not following along with the biblical story. And I think that's the point. God puts a story like this in here. To give us a bit of like, wait, what? I need to stop and take notice of what's going on here. That's what God wants. He puts this weird, surprising thing in here so that we will pay attention. And what you're going to see is that God uses a dumb donkey to show us just how dumb this prophet really is. That he had no business doing what he was doing. Chris Vincent, one of our elders, often asks in Sunday school or in sermons, like, is this guy a bad guy or a good guy? And usually the answer, especially in the Old Testament, is like, well, a bit of both, right? 
I'll give you the answer right up front. Balaam, bad guy. He is a very bad guy in scripture. And it's not obvious at first. Because he's going to go along and it seems like he wants to do what God wants. But I want to show you that that's not the case. So we need to look at who is this Balaam. In chapter 22, verse 18, he calls the Lord God. He actually uses the proper name of God, Yahweh. He says, the Lord, my God. Usually in scripture, when you read something like that, this is a worshiper of the God most high. So it's like, okay, maybe this is a good guy. Chapter 22, verse 8, verse 18, verse 18, uh, sorry, 38, chapter 23, verse 3, chapter 23, verse 12. Over and over again, he says, I can only say what God tells me to say. Well, that's a good response. We've used this with our kids when we tell them to go do something. We quote this verse where it says, go, but only do what I tell you to do. That's (laughs) that a lot. Like, go clean your room, but only do what I told you to do. Like, don't go and do something else. That's a direct quote from God telling this to Balaam. Words to live by, kids, my kids. So it looks like Balaam is a good guy. In chapter 24, verses 15 through 16, Balaam's giving a message from God. So it's a little weird. He's giving the message from God. But in the message, Balaam is called the one whose eye sees clearly, one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. And it's like, wow, okay, it's a pretty holy, righteous guy, it seems like. Seems like Balaam is just another one of the prophets, right up there with like Elisha, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Here's a prophet of God, a holy man. I want to show you from the text that is not the case. I want to read for you chapter 22, verses 1 through 20. You can follow along in your own Bibles. Listen to the details we hear about Balaam. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all the Israel, that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people has come, that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous, more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. 
Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered him, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go against the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I may find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now again, some of you are taking some of my words and like, I don't know, he doesn't sound that bad to me. Balaam doesn't sound like that bad of a guy. He clearly says he can only do what God says. Here's the thing. God said. (laughs) God said, don't go. And what has Balak done? What has the king of Moab done? He said, look, here's what we'll do, Balaam. If you come to me, I will give you anything you want. Money. And the theme of money comes up again and again and again throughout this passage. And every time Balaam is asked for or is offered more money, Balaam says, you know what? Why don't I go back to God and see if I can get a different answer? That is not the heart of a prophet. This is not the heart of someone who understands that God is sovereign and in control. This is the heart of someone who is trying to manipulate God. Couple things about Balaam. Balaam is not an Israelite. He is not Jewish. He is not part of the covenant people of Israel. We learn that because it says over and over again where Balaam is from, and it says it is his homeland, and he is not one of the Israelites. Now, that's not to say that he's wicked and awful because he wasn't one of the Israelites. That would be racist. But he's not part of God's covenant people. He's not under the law. So it raises the question, is he a worshiper of God from another country? That happens. Or is there something else? A big clue here is that he is being paid over and over again, or at least offered to be paid, to curse God's people. He is given a fee for divination. This idea of divination is a huge clue. Divination is this practice in scripture of consulting spiritual forces and trying to manipulate them or interpret them to discern the future or to direct the future. Divination in scripture is strictly forbidden. Look at Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 11. This is strong words. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcrafts or cast spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Do you see there, like this long list of things we go, ooh, yeah, that's terrible. Oh, that's awful. And right there is divination. God calls it a detestable practice. Divination was a very specific way of seeking spiritual guidance. And it was a way that God said was wrong. This is what Balaam does. This is how he makes his living divination. So what he's doing, the way he is inquiring from God God has said is evil and wrong. And Balaam, if he was a man of God, would have known that. But he's not. He is a prophet for hire. He could have easily consulted some other god or goddess. In this case, he is consulting Yahweh. But he's using his same old tricks. Balaam was not a prophet of God. Balaam was a witch doctor for hire. 
That's who he is. And throughout these chapters, he uses methods that God has strictly forbidden in order to consult with God. The reason he's talking to Yahweh is that he knows Yahweh is the God of the Israelites. Yahweh is the one that's protecting his people, the Israelites, as they go through the desert. He knows, as this witch doctor, he's got to get Yahweh to change his mind. That's why he's doing this. He is taking money to try to manipulate the Lord God Almighty into changing his mind. But there's more. He's willing to do anything for this money. Look at Numbers chapter 22, verse 6. The king says to Balaam, For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Hey, Balaam, you've got a a reputation. Like, I've seen your website, and... uh, read the testimonials. You've got a lot of good reviews on there. You've obviously done a really great job in the past of blessing certain people and cursing others, and it seems like you produce results, so I'd like to hire you. Think about that language. Whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. People familiar with the Old Testament, this should start ringing some bells. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God makes a promise to Abraham, a covenant, an unchanging, binding promise between God and his people, Abraham and all of his offspring that would go on to become the nation of Israel, which is now camped in the valley that Balaam is overlooking with the king right there trying to get Balaam to curse those people. This is the promise that God has already made to his people. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This language is not on accident. Moses, as he writes the book of Numbers, is using this language intentionally so that we are reflecting back to Genesis chapter 12 to understand that what Balak is hiring Balaam to do is to undo the very promise that formed the nation of Israel in the first place. And Balaam, by taking on this job, is saying that he has the right that should only be God's right in the first place. The blessings and curses. Chapter 22, verse 12 is key. In chapter 22, verse 12, God specifically tells Balaam not to go. That's God's answer. Balaam comes and asks, and God says, no, do not go with them. But Balaam keeps going back to God over and over. He wants another answer a different answer. He tries different means to manipulate God's answer to get what he wants so that Balaam can get paid. That's what's going on over and over again. This happens three to four times. Balaam is told by God what to say. He goes back to the king with the answer. The king offers him more money for a different answer. And Balaam goes back to God and he tries again. And the cycle keeps repeating. Chapter 24, we're told Balaam this time doesn't even resort to divination. It's almost like he's saying, I'm not going to try to figure out what God says. I'm going to come up with an answer on my own and go back and tell him so that I can get paid. And God's like, no, no, (laughs) here's what you're going to say. And God makes him say 
what he's supposed to say. In chapter 24, verse 11, Balak tells Balaam, the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balaam wanted to get paid. And God kept doing the opposite of what Balak was telling Balaam to do. And Balaam ends up not getting paid, at least for now. Balaam's situation here, I think there's enough in the text itself to tell us this is no man of God. But there's an important point in Scripture as well. In chapter 25, we're not going to look at it this week. We're going to pick it up next week. But in chapter 25, these Israelites gathered down in the valley as Balaam and Balak are overlooking them, having this conversation. In chapter 25, the Israelites fall into horrible sin. A country, happens to be Moab, sends a bunch of women among the Israelites to cause them to stumble and to sin so that God will bring judgment on them. And that's exactly what happens. But in Numbers chapter 31, verse 16, we learn an interesting tidbit. It says this about that sin. They were the ones, these people that fell into this sin, and the people that sent the women in in the first place, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the Peor incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. Understand what Balaam did. He couldn't do his job. He couldn't give the message that King Balak wanted. He couldn't curse the people. God kept telling him, nope, not going to allow you to do it. God kept putting the words in Balaam's mouth that God wanted him to say, even though Balaam wanted to say something different. And at some point after chapter 24, Balak, or Balaam rather, there it is, I knew I would do it. Probably wasn't the first time. Balaam went to the king and said, look, this isn't working, so here's what you should do. And he laid out a scheme to send women into the Israelite camp to cause them to sin. And we're not told in scripture, but I imagine that this is how Balaam finally made his money. He finally was able to get to the Israelites and cause them to stumble. Now, I want to be careful here. My point is not to just give you an educational experience on Balaam, but it's to help you understand. There are those that look really spiritual And they're taking truth that they know about God, but they're mixing it with a whole lot of error. And they're mishmashing it all together and calling it their religion. And it is dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And Balaam is an example of just how dangerous this is in Scripture. God initially tells Balaam not to go, but Balaam kept going back for a different answer. Now, when Balaam finally goes with the king of Moab, this is where things get really weird. And we're introduced to another important character in this story, the donkey. Look at chapter 22, verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through uh, through the vineyards with the walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. 
And the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, like this is no big deal, right? (laughs) You have made a fool of me. Balaam's not wrong here. You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? But you have always ridden to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. I asked earlier, if you had to butter bread, would you rather have a knife or a fish? If you had a pound of nail, would you rather have toilet paper or a hammer? If you want to hear from the Lord or see what God is doing, would you rather have a donkey or a prophet? A prophet? Who actually sees what God is doing in this passage? The donkey. And the prophet, did you know another good name in scripture for prophets is seer? Seer. One who sees spiritual things. Balaam is blind. He has no clue what God is doing. And you might want to go back as I did and say, wait a minute, but didn't God tell him to go? Well, yes, but only after Balaam didn't like his first answer. Balaam's heart is set on getting paid here. Balaam is wrong. Everything that Balaam does is wrong. Even when he's doing what God told him to do, Balaam is wrong because he's doing it for all the wrong reasons. But God is going to use Balaam to accomplish God's purposes. It's a hard truth in life. There's some very evil, messed up people doing evil, messed up things. That a sovereign God will use what they do to accomplish his purposes. That does not ever make what those people do right. And they will be held accountable just as Balaam is. You might have some people in your life, and I've heard people say, man, I was hurt so much by so-and-so. Maybe you went through abuse and hardship. And then you hear somebody say, but God has used it for your good and his glory. And then you're stuck. It's like, so do I have to say that that was good and what they did was right? And the answer is no. What they did was wrong. But God takes messed up situations that are evil and horrible and the person shouldn't have done it. And he brings good things out of it. Because that's the graciousness of our sovereign God. And that's what he's doing here with Balaam over and over again. And we have to understand these blessings and these curses Balak keeps asking Balaam to curse the Israelites. And, and, and again, this is weird. It sounds very magical, and it kind of is, but this is the way they thought. If God would curse his people, well, now the people are stuck. The problem is God's already pronounced a blessing on his people, and now the people are stuck. They're literally stuck with the blessing of God. That's not a bad thing. In fact, some of the hardships that Israel goes through is because they're stuck with the blessing of God. He's disciplining them, leading them, bringing them along, even when they're unfaithful over and over again. We looked earlier at this promise that God gave to his people through Abraham. He promised to be with them, to protect them, to give them land, 
which they're on their way to the promised land, and to bless the whole world through them. This covenant blessing runs all through Scripture. In fact, I would say that what God says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and then he he says more in Genesis 15, that covenant that God makes through Abraham is the fabric of all of Scripture. It all points ahead to Jesus Christ. God promises Abraham that one day all nations will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. I can think of no greater blessing in the entire world that has influenced each and every one here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not Jewish, you are here because of the blessing that God gave to Abraham to raise up somebody through which he will save the whole world. And that's who Jesus is. God's blessing cannot be undone. It cannot be taken back. It cannot be negotiated or manipulated. We cannot manipulate God. And God never changes his mind and he never breaks his promise. After that first attempt doesn't work, king of Moab tries again and again. But each time Balaam comes back and instead of just not being able to do what the king of Moab is saying, God is starting to put words in Balaam's mouth which become a blessing on God's people and a curse on the king of Moab. And at one point, the king is like, just stop talking, Balaam. Just stop. This is going poorly. But then in the next verse, he's like, but I'll give you more money to try again. He's kind of dense. I think they all are, except maybe the donkey in this case. He tries again and again. And finally, in chapter 25, like the king is done. And yet God just keeps putting messages in Balaam's mouth. And Balaam just keeps pronouncing these blessings. And in these blessings, one of the things that comes up is that he says that God will raise up one who will come out of Israel, who will defeat all of Israel's enemies. In the middle of this weird, messed up passage about a heathen prophet and a talking donkey, we have a picture of Jesus Christ the ultimate promised blessing, who would come. Think about what this means for promises in Scripture, that God cannot break his promises. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 is such a powerful promise. Paul writes, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That should sound a little familiar. That was our first song. It comes straight out of this passage. This is what it's about. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake? We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the promise of the Lord through Jesus Christ. 
And God never breaks his promises. What a great blessing. The curses of this world that we live in, the curse of sin, even the curses we tell ourselves cannot break the promise of God through Jesus Christ. He died in your place that you might live. He rose from the grave that we might have eternal life. It is an unbreakable promise from God to us. So what do we do with a passage like this? I think from Balaam's perspective, there's something we should learn. We need to be careful that we don't try in our own way to manipulate God. We're not here to bargain with God. God doesn't have to do certain things because you woke up this morning and read your Bible or you dropped off money in the offering plate. We do not manipulate God. God is sovereign and he is holy. And I think sometimes we do try to get God to do what we want. And Balaam is a good example or maybe a bad example of this. What Balaam should have done is listened to what God wanted and stopped there. Instead of trying to get God to do what we want, let's learn what it is that God wants. Get to know what God blesses. Trust in those blesses, those blessings. Align ourselves with those promises and God's covenant-keeping blessings. But I think there's something else we can learn. See this whole three chapters here? Israel, as far as I understand, the people of Israel down in the valley had no clue any of it was going on. There they are going about their business and there is a cosmic spiritual warfare going on on the cliffs overlooking them where God is battling against this king of Moab trying to curse his people and God is battling against that and blessing his people over and over. Right now, as you go about your life, God is fighting for you in ways you don't even know. Trust him. Praise him. Follow him. Worship him. What's really sad, though, is that next week we'll look at chapter 25. And while this great battle is going on and God is defending his people, his people are moving into sin and rebellion against him. And these two things put back to back really show us just how sinful our own hearts are. And how great the love and mercy and sovereign will of God is. So for this week, don't be like this so-called seer who couldn't see what God was doing at all. Don't come to God to get what you want. Come to God to learn who he is. And about what he has promised through his son, Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to remember and recite the blessings we have through Jesus Christ by taking in communion together. It's one of the ways we come to the Lord and say, God, you teach us who you are rather than us telling you who we think you should be. Get to know the promises of God in scripture and know that God never changes his mind or goes back on his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And God, these stories in scripture, these accounts are difficult. It's a very foreign times, very difficult situations. But Father, there's a depth here, a richness of a message that we need to hear. 
And so I pray, Father, that we would learn from this bad example of Balaam. He is picked up again in the New Testament and held up time and time again as a picture of someone whose heart is set against you. And God, as I read his story, sometimes it's hard to see that. And I think sometimes it's hard to see in our own life as well. So I pray that we would come to you. We would learn who you are and learn your ways through your word. And through others that would challenge us and and point us to your word. Through your Holy Spirit at work in us, applying your word to our lives. Father, may we see those ways that our hearts are set against you as well. Ways that we seek to manipulate you. And instead, Father, I pray, help us to bow at your feet and say, God, you are God and we are not. We want what you want rather than to get you to do what we want. And then may we pour over your word and gratitude for who you are and what you're doing. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here trying to do all this on their own, seeking their own way, may today be the day they fall on their face before you and say yes to your son, Jesus Christ. Pray all this in your name. Amen.